there may be a, a few that are here for the very first time and you need to know what you're getting into. For the last three weeks, over almost now moving to 17 years, I've done my best to project vision every single year of my vocational ministry in Southwest Florida. Sometimes I've been able to communicate it effectively. Sometimes, you know, you got to realize 17 years is a long time. And you find yourself desperate each and every year for the presence of God to Discipline yourself not to create it out of your head or talent or giftings, but to find the true presence of God to find out His desire and heart for where He wants a group of people to go. I've been able to have the blessing of doing that with many of you now for nearly 17 years. You watched my kids grow up. You've seen the different changes in appearance that have happened over the years. You welcomed a 34-year-old young man with a goatee, black hair, had hair, and it was black. <laughs> and incredibly, I now have white hair, what little's left, and Michelle looks almost identical. It bothers me. I've struggled with it for 17 years, but it... It does bring me to the place where I understand I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Amen. And, amen. But there are churches, if you're here for the very first time, there's churches in Southwest Florida that are larger than we are numerically. And they have incredible calls on their life and in their church. You have wonderful fellowships of people of all sizes, of all cultures, that come together and they meet in Southwest Florida. But when the city, one of the characteristics of CityGate is that when the city moves into an area of crisis, we become one of the first phone calls. You know, when our city experienced the tragedy of a mass shooting, 31, I believe, injured, two killed, they relied upon a church called CityGate to help them heal and bind up the brokenhearted. And respond with a faith to believe that God could not only heal the wounds that, that were trapped in the, in the gorges of, of grief, but also could heal our city. Then we had, a couple of years ago, we had this hurricane. And like I said, there's so many congregations that in the moment of a hurricane like Irma, you put away the denominational distinctions, you put away the signs, and you find the unity, and you start working because the, the need is so great, it becomes overwhelming. And we, as a body of believers in Southwest Florida, started to work in this unified position and there were people that lended our, their, our, us their assistance, uh, like churches like Next Level, like churches like McGregor Baptist. And we started to coordinate things. And, you know, there was celebrities that brought their influence to bring in the resources that were much needed. But when the city decided to describe their response to the front page of the paper, it was orange t-shirts that declared City Gates partnership with a city that fed over 17,000 people when they were hungry. Amen. So it brings us to the awareness that we are not the city's only church. But in the moments where the alarm button is pushed and the sirens start to ring... 
that is the moment we become the city's church. And I hold that in high regard because we are not the only ones. Man, you've got incredible congregations. You're talking about just those two that I named. Next level, man, they've got a communicator so powerful. And Pastor Matt, he is so powerful. He doesn't have to physically even be there. He can keep your attention and be speaking from a screen. I barely keep you awake and I'm here. (laughs) Then you've got, you know, the majesty of something like a McGregor Baptist with thousands of people, a school and, and the discipleship and the commitment to discipleship, not to mention First Assembly and the legacy of Pastor Betzer. Amen. Let's just celebrate our city. But for the last three weeks, most seven, after 17 years, you've got to mix some stuff up a little bit. And for the most part, for 17 years, I've taken the first Sunday of every year and projected vision. And most of the time, people are still on vacation and very few even here. And I said, we're going to do it different this year. We're going to do it the last Sunday of January. And we're going to prepare our hearts. And we've been studying what it's like to be blind. Because it doesn't matter who you are, either individually or corporately as a body of believers, even those wonderful uh, fellow sister congregations that I've mentioned, and not to even mention, can somebody give uh, Stephen Johnson a hand of appreciation for coming from Summit to preach to us last week? Twelve people got saved. Amen. It is in those moments... We've been studying, no matter whether it's you individually or corporately, all of us have blind spots. And when we come to the awareness that all of us possess those things that we can probably see more clearly if God anoints our spiritual vision to see. And so for three weeks, we've been studying about what it's like in Scripture when Jesus confronts and, uh, and, and intersects somebody's life that is blind. And all of a sudden, in His presence, they receive their sight. And over and over for the last three weeks, we've been studying about how it is to receive our sight when we we realize that we're blind. And then the overwhelming question that he asks all the time during one of those miracles is, what do you see? And I want to really focus on that question of what do you see? Because we've acknowledged through the humbleness of our hearts, we've acknowledged that we have blind spots. We've called upon the Lord to heal us of those blind spots. And now I believe as a congregation, we're ready to see. And when you're ready to see, you're ready to receive vision. And the Bible talks in the book of Proverbs, verse, uh, chapter 29, verse 18. And most of the time I don't preach out of the message because the message is a really great example of paraphrasing. But it's not maybe the most accurate. But in this case, since I'm only dealing with one verse, I really liked how it composed the paraphrase of the scripture. And it says this, if people can't see what God is doing... They stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are the most blessed. Now look at your neighbor because I'm going to require some participation today. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be most blessed. See, because in, in that scripture, the Hebrew word for vision is kazon. And that word kazon means a dream, a revelation, or a vision. An easy way to say that is a preferred future. When you're thinking about what God is speaking to you individually and what he's speaking to us as a church, what picture does your mind create? What imagination does your heart stir to the preferred future? Can you imagine if a church got on fire for God's preferred future? It would not look like the world we live in today. Can somebody say amen? 
We need his preferred future. The text is saying to us very clearly that if we do not possess God's vision, people will become confused, scattered, unfocused, and easily distracted. To make sure that confusion and being scattered in so many different directions, because sometimes churches confuse what they're doing with activity, and as long as they're active, they feel like they're making the greatest impact, but sometimes activity is simply just busyness. And we want our busyness to have a purpose and to allow us to be laser focused on what God is saying, even beyond what we desire. And to make sure that we're going to do that, we are going to talk today not only about what we intend to accomplish, but we're going to talk about the details of how to get there. And this is an important thing for you to remember, especially when it concerns vision, is I'm going to ask you to repeat this to your neighbor as well, is that language creates culture. I'm going to say that again. Language creates culture. If you can't explain it, it's hard for you to maintain it. And if you can't explain the power of the gospel that has happened in your life, how in the world can you sustain it for very long when you are unaware of the magnitude of the depth of how God has touched your life? And how can you communicate that to somebody else if you can't even communicate it to yourself? So look at your neighbor and say this, language creates culture. Because CityGate exists to change the world by guiding people to their purpose in Christ. I'm going to say that again. It's a kind of a vision statement. It is that CityGate exists to change the world by guiding people to purpose in Christ. That is the what we are. And we, we are doing what we are. We find ourselves blessed. We find ourselves in a position of contentment. When we are con continually believing that city gate exists to change the world by pointing the people of our city towards their purpose in Christ. See, what we don't want to do is to become mired in the, in the uh, uh, sand of foundation, the shaky foundation of how we feel. Because how we feel sometimes will deceive us. And so sometimes pulpits stop at creating an atmosphere where everybody feels good. Sometimes you don't need to go home feeling good. Sometimes you need to feel like you've walked into the presence of God and found out that there's a purpose for you being on this planet. And when you find a purpose, then sometimes the pain, especially if it's associated with a purpose, is worth the cost. See... You say, well, that's a good what, but how? How we're going to do that is by rescuing hurting people, making disciples, and releasing world changers. I'm going to say that one again, too. By rescuing the hurting people. We don't have to look very far. You're probably sitting within arm's distance of somebody walking through something that is causing them hurt and struggle in their life. But we have a God that is capable of rescuing the hurting and building and, rep and replicating disciples, making disciples and releasing world changes. What does it mean to change the world? Don't the world need changing? Sometimes we get deceived because we are comparing the condition to the world to the strength of our mere mortality. One out of every three girls abused, one out of every four boys abused. 
I don't think that's God's preferred future. But I think that group of people such as us, alongside of other churches continuing in unity in Southwest Florida, can get the mind of God and His preferred future and start preaching the gospel. And the gospel start changing people. Can somebody say amen? amen. I, don't, I don't want the confusion of our world to be the barometer of my anxiety. I didn't get too political in first service, but I, I'm feeling a little brave after. <laughs> Do you realize no matter what political affiliation you are a part of, that it, we are so confused and crisis driven and agenda oriented that we shut down the country for over 30 days and people lost pay? And we want to call that normal? No. God's preferred vision is normal where people stand up and have integrity and character and no matter what they do. And all of a sudden, God's preferred uh, future starts to come to the forefront where we are celebrating not the political agenda of a party, but the one that is above every agenda of every party, the name that is above every other name. The Democrats can't fix you and the Republicans can't fix you, but Jesus can fix you. For those of you that hated that I mentioned the word Democrats or Republicans, email me at djp0114 at yahoo.com and I'll read it and pray about it. But let's go, how do we get there? See, one thing that we do in, in preaching vision is sometimes we rush right to core values and we talk about our core values, but your, those values are how you behave and they have to be built on a foundation of something. So before we get to how we behave, let's talk about the preciousness of the foundational truths in which we are going to live by, the pillars of truth of CityGate. And they begin with pillar number one being radical redemption touch your neighbor and say radical redemption see what we, we sometimes and second service is a little better because we're a little younger and the, the younger you get the more rebellious you feel and first service you hear the word like radical and they're like oh my goodness there comes those rebels again I just told you the condition of our world you can't casually walk into the world and say we're gonna all change it's got to be radical you got to have a faith in believing that there is nobody. What does radical redemption mean? That we don't believe at CityGate that there is one living soul under the sound of South, under the banner of Southwest Florida that is too far gone, too go, done too much, and have suffered the, the consequences of too many sins that the power of the blood of Jesus cannot conquer. We believe that there's nobody, no place. They can be under a bridge and we think that they could be the next T.D. Jakes. They could be limping through rehab thinking this is my 14th time through and we believe they could be the next prophet to the, be a voice into the church. We believe in radical redemption so much that it becomes one of those pillars that we build our faith upon because if God wouldn't have radically redeemed me, you wouldn't have a pastor. But my story pales into comparison. I want you to take your attention and move it towards the screens for the next four minutes. And let me introduce you to a man that lives out radical redemption every day. His name is Nelson.
I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I was born in a Christian home with not both of my parents. When I was about 15, we moved to Florida, Fort Myers, and my mom was by herself. During that time that I didn't have both my parents, I was looking for something other than what my mother was talking about, something that I thought was fun. I turned to drugs and to the streets because it looked appealing. When I first, when I had my first cigarette, it was like I got dizzy and it just felt good. When I had my first drink, it was like, wow, you know, I'm, this is great. I just wanted to do me. I wanted to be my own person. I didn't want to listen to anybody. Authority didn't mean anything to me. Well, the moment that I wanted change was me thinking of always doing the same thing. Me thinking of where is my life going? Year after year, January, December 31st, I'm having a bottle of liquor, smoking a cigarette, hanging out in the club, year after year after year. It was the same thing. The day that I felt that my life changed, that I was free, that I was released from bondage was when the federal agents were inside my home. That was it for me. I, w I knew that it was over. I wanted it to be over for years and years, but I was trapped. I couldn't do anything about it. That's why when those handcuffs went on me, when I was on the floor, when they had uh, an AR-15 at my back, I was free. I went to the station. A little while after that, I went to prison for three years. It taught me a lot of things of about people. It taught me about loving people. I met a pastor there, um, and he was a loving pastor, just kind of like my pastor. Just love for people, no matter who you are, what walk you came from, where you've been, I've learned to go down the right path, even though it's hard sometimes. I came out of prison to my uh, girlfriend at the time that was waiting for me for three years. Um, I came home to a loving church. I went in, I sat in the back, you know, because I was a little afraid, a little nervous. To be honest with you, it was a, it was a great experience. It wasn't regular church to me. There was people that looked like me. There was people that loved no matter what. You know, your skin color, your the way you dressed, the way you spoke, your background. They knew it, but they still treated you with love the way Jesus would. Pastor David was there when my sentencing day, when I went to, to prison, he was there for me. You know, he was there for me during prison. He's there for me now. My life is is totally different now. I don't live scared, I don't live in fear, I don't live depressed, I don't live wondering what tomorrow is gonna gonna bring for me. I don't I live each day like a brand new one. I just I have peace. I see myself as a new creation, as 
a godly man, not just a regular man. Before I looked happy on the outside because of the things that I had, but now I'm happy in the inside and now I can bring that out to other people. My wife and I do serve in the children's ministry and it's, for me, it's, it's fun doing children's ministry because I get to see little happy faces all the time. Like, that brings joy to me, watching them run around and act goofy and just the little kid always Wakanda forever. It's just, that brings joy to me. It's a different part of my life. It's a new chapter. And I think God still has a lot to do, but I'm here. I'm in a great place, in a great church with some people that might have a story like mine. My name is Nelson. I used to sell dope. Now I give hope. Thank Jesus. See, we believe in that. We believe in that life transformation, the power of the gospel taking root in somebody's heart and it changing the character of a man. The second pillar that we build upon this vision is called deliberate discipleship. It's making deliberate disciples out of people. It's where we've gotten confused at times because we get so... Uh, uh, emotional when somebody has that radical redemption that we wanted to get them right out on the, the mission field and we wanted to make sure that the world knew what God had done and we did it with good intentions but sometimes we don't do things with good intentions and gain the greatest impact because we are doing them motivated by emotion instead of really going through the process and so what our paradigm as a church looked like, guys, if you would put that up, is we wanted to create leaders. We wanted people to be radically redeemed and let them know that they are somebody with Christ and that they are going to live an example of the glory of God working in and through them. They are not perfect people, but they are one to be observed because of the grace that God has bestowed upon them. And then after they become a leaders, we wanted to get them right out into outreach. We wanted to give them an orange shirt and tell them, let's go get them. Let's go feed the hungry. Let's go uh, deal with the homeless. Let's go and meet some of the social needs that are wrapped up in some of the communities of our, of our city. And we immediately got out there. Man, that's what we do best and that's what we enjoy. But you know what? It was wrong. It wasn't that we weren't trying to impact the, our community but then we started struggling. Are we an outreach center that has church? Are we a church that, has out, that does outreach? And we started to lose our identity a little bit. Even under the good guise of that orange shirt doing so many wonderful things like feeding 17,000 people. We didn't do that. Let's be humble. We did it with a lot of other churches in a city. And then we would... We would say, you need to be in groups to be discipled. And it looked like this. If you're here for the first time, this is what it looked like. Pastor Matt would come up here and he's already charismatic. I don't know why they didn't ask me to do the Kurt Franklin part. I'm going to talk to our choir director. I'm a little hurt by it and offended by it. But, you know, he's so charismatic and he's so good with words. And he comes up here and he says, you know what? We were a part of God's miracle this week and we fed 600 families for Thanksgiving Day. And we gave them all these wonderful things and everybody cheers. And then we go, now there's a class in room Y103. Because it wasn't our passion. 
But this is one of the things where God has asked us to change because if we can do, some people say, well, Pastor, are we going to do less outreaches? I don't know, but I know one thing. We're not going to go do a lot of outreaches until we start discipling people. And our focus is going to be on getting you deeper in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to prepare you because we believe if we get healthy with discipleship. And this is what the new paradigm looks like. It's leaders and then groups. And there's confusion about groups because some groups run like we had the announcement and some groups bowl. And you just think, well, that's just fun groups and I have enough activities. No, each and every group we really want to say, if you're doing something that's fun, at least bring the Word of God and prayer into those groups that allow us to get deeper in our relationship with Christ and go through a discipleship process. Because not only are we going to have groups, but then we believe if we get your living rooms healthy, we get your families healthy, we get you being a healthy husband and a healthy wife and and being healthy parents to your children through discipleship, we believe we can have a greater impact on our community through outreach. Can somebody say amen? amen? Discipleship. This is where things get a little bit different for CityGate because I've never really once held a lot of expectations. But this is one that I'm preaching in 2019. I have an expectation. You participate. That means that, hey, I know that maybe you were born with the Bible in your hand. But God wants to teach you a little bit more. And we want you, we're going to offer discipleship on different nights throughout the year. It's not just going to be on Wednesday night. Because some of your schedules can't uh, have a Wednesday night opportunity. Some of it's going to be during the day. Some of it's going to be during the night. Some of it's going to be here at the campus. Some of it's going to be online. Some of it's going to be in living rooms. But wherever you are, when it fits your schedule, get in a discipleship process. There's a area for men called the herd. We are excited. We're going to have a fellowship dinner this Tuesday to welcome new guys, but we're going to go through a study called waking the sleeping giant. Can you imagine ladies, what would happen in your life if the men, the giant of faith and, and the spiritual leader that your men were created to be, if they arose and awoke and become a part of your living room and your, and and your household and our city and our workforce, what it would change in bring revival. So if your man doesn't want to come on Tuesday, make him come. Amen. (laughs) We want you to have opportunities and when those opportunities present themselves, participate. Touch a neighbor and say, participate. The third pillar for the sake of time. Contagious community. We want to do life together. I wrote it like this. We want to be united in the life of Christ and marked with contagious love. We want to do life together. Do you know that this is the standard in which churches are identified in the sight of God? See, there's a difference between your standard and God's standard. You ever notice how we describe churches? Oh, man. Like I said, Pastor Matt's so great, powerful of a communicator, he can do it through a screen. That's power. How about those churches like Summit, McGregor Baptist, and others that in our community that have wonderfully talented musicians that can sing and they have the lights to back it up? That's incredible. And they can bring you into the presence of God through the power of worship. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But can you imagine that we describe the expectations of church through natural and human, human expectation and never ask ourselves, what does God expect from church? You know that when God starts describing church, he doesn't say the people that have the best singers. The ones that can compete with Nashville or Hollywood. No, he don't say that at all. You know why? He doesn't even judge the guy that or the woman that's speaking. He doesn't say the one that has the best communicator that preaches like the Apostle Paul. 
You know what the Bible says is the difference between churches and, and people outside of faith? Love. Listen to what the Bible says, not what your expectation of church is. When God says how to measure a successful church, he says this. A new commandment I give to you to love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That means that we can become famous just by loving each other in a contagious community. That, that, that if, you, if our uh, reputation says we've got a powerful communicator or good music, we're going to be in a group of people just like that. And we may not be able to compete with those groups of people. But if they say they love better than anybody else in town because they love with the love of Christ, then we're going somewhere. We don't want you just to come to church on Sunday. Join our family. I've really been struggling with this thing called membership and maybe we need to have it because sometimes we're getting to a side, we're running out of room in second service. We had a lot of people from second service and first service today. I don't know if it was the rain or what, but there was a big old crowd here in first service. And that's another thing. We're not going we're to do some things differently in discipleship, but we're going to do things differently in both services. You know why? Because I'm tired a little bit. I'm a little bit fatigued with having an old person service and a young person service. Because I'm no longer considered young. And when we put words out on the side like traditional, what we need to be saying is we need to announce with loudspeakers, this is the old person church. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we're contemporary. That's the millennial church. Why don't we just have two services that where we bring a little bit of tradition and something that we can hold on to that has stood the test of time into second service and bring a little contemporary into first service and we can create an atmosphere of worship that's never been about you anyway. I haven't even got there yet, but about him. And then we have two services for every age group. Amen. It don't matter if you want to go somewhere at 2 o'clock, you come to 9.15 and you feel like you've got somewhere. The next pillar. The fourth, extravagant worshipers. It's one of the things, if, if you are fragile in the area of worship, we may not be for you. <laughs> because man, when you've come from some of our backgrounds, it's hard to contain the radical transformation that has happened in our life. When we realize how far we were in sin and how close we were to death and all of a sudden a Savior steps out of heaven and dies on a cross and gets up from the dead and we got the opportunity to sing to Him. Woo! One of my favorite authors of all time, his name's Francis Chan. He wrote uh, uh, Crazy Love. I, I'm reading a new book of his and it talks about why he left Cornerstone and the church that he started. But when he started Cornerstone, he had really three things. And one of those three things is he wanted to come together where people of God would sing to God. And that's where we messed it up. We thought that they were singing to us. And so now we, now we get so distracted with style and methods. You ever been to a fancy dinner where they put all the silverware out? And the fork's in the right place. It I'm going to give you some truth here. It really doesn't matter if you go to a place like that and the fork's in the exact place. Because we get so enamored with the table. If the food stinks, it stinks. <laughs> but you can give me a spoon on the wrong side of the plate and one fork and I have to ask for a knife. But if the food is delicious, I'm going to come back time after time after time. We get so messed up with how do y'all sing? What's this about? First of all, Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and bless his holy name. It never said bless you. And then verse 2 backs it up and says, Bless the Lord all my soul and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. See, when we recognize it doesn't matter if we're singing a hymn or singing the latest and greatest, whether we're singing it from an artist that wears jeans and cutoffs or somebody that wears a suit and sung on Jubilee in 1972. If the lyrics are about the one that stepped out of nothing and created everything and paid the price that we paid, we want to come together, get everybody's voice together and declare the glory of the one that is the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because at that moment, where everybody sings it is at that moment he is bound by his word to inhabit the fellowship of those people and do what he does best can somebody say amen I got I got I got this in a visual I'm a dolphin fan they're not going to the Super Bowl and I'm preaching this sermon so it's the dolphins on there we're beating the Patriots that's us that's us Last second, no time remaining. We run a touchdown off of a kickoff. We bladdered it six times, almost impossible. Sorry, JJ. It's just the truth, man. You're in the Super Bowl. Give me my moment. But what identifies the two types of people is not the jersey. Look up in the crowd. They got jerseys. No, there's a difference when you have the authority to get on the field. And sometimes we have created a culture in church that all God wants is believers. Well, first of all, that's not scriptural. Because no place in the Bible does it say to go make more believers, but it does give you a command to go make more disciples. And the difference between a believer and a, and a disciple is commitment. See, God didn't want you in the stands. He wanted you on the field. He didn't want you to observe worship. He wanted you to participate in it. Well, I can't sing. Raise your hands. Well, Pastor, my arm's broke. Raise, raise the good one. Be like this. Well, Pastor, that's good music, but I can't even dance. Neither can I. So jump. That's what white people do. That's deep news right there. That's, that's, worth, that's worth the internet right there. <laughs> we want you to participate. Our God is worthy and he deserves all of our full devotion and our admiration for who he is. It's not about the style or the beat of a song. It's the one we are singing about. And if the one that we are singing about, if we all come together and extravagantly worship... He will extravagantly reveal himself into the fellowship. And that's where I want to be because I have no cure for cancer. But I know that there is one that is extravagant, that is unbelievably sovereign, that can walk out on nothing and create everything. And his one touch can heal the body. Can somebody say amen? amen. Amy, if you'll get the crew up here. I'm running out of pillars. The fifth pillar is being faith-filled. Faith we want to instill in every heart at CityGate to become fearless risk-takers, believing God can do everything. And the impossible becomes possible with Him. We want a culture that believes the Word of God is the answer 
for our society. And it is the truth that can set the, the ones that are bound free. It can take the broken and make them whole. We want to believe God with faith to believe that if you could do it with your own intellect, then you're going to come to the end of yourself at your natural abilities. But we believe in the supernatural God that when we get to the end of our abilities, he supernaturally goes one step further. And our last final pillar, and we're going to talk about core values uh, in the next couple of weeks, but our sixth and final pillar is commissioned. We want to collectively empower and create personal conviction that we can change the world through the gospel. The power of the word can do anything. Play me something soft, please. See, we experienced that yesterday at a funeral service with a man named Ken. An educator retired from New Jersey, thought he was going to come to Florida and play golf. And he ran into the life of a homeless person. And God revealed his new call in the later chapters of his life. And from this location, he gave 3,000 bikes away, transportation to the homeless for eight hours of community service. And some of the men and women that received some of those 3,000 bikes, they received a bike, a smile, a hug, a lock, a chain, and Jesus. And they rode it all the way to heaven. Isn't it amazing how the Bible describes the path to heaven? In Matthew chapter 7, he says, The way to destruction is wide, and many there be that find it. it sounds a lot like I-75 and the crisis and the chaos that can happen there. A lot of people on it driving crazy. I went to Miami to get on a cruise ship and they had an accident and the accident didn't amaze me. It was what happened after the accident. I literally saw people abandon their cars. I waited in an hour worth of traffic and one of the places where I waited five extra minutes is because I didn't realize the people in front of me weren't in the car anymore. They just left it. That's chaos. That's what the Bible describes as the path to destruction. But the path in the same chapter to eternal life was narrow. And few there that found it. But those that did find it found Jesus and found their way to eternal life. Sounds like a bike path, doesn't it? And one man seemingly working in a little room on the backside of a campus called CityGate, giving bikes away started changing the world. And there was a story yesterday of a man laying on a park bench that it got introduced to the bike man. He gave him his transportation. And the man earned it for eight hours of community service so he had respect when he got on it. He felt like, I bought this thing. And he bought it and got gainfully employed at Publix and his life completely changed. See, we can change the world when you're a part of the mission of God. And so, before I ask you what you see, this is what I see in 2019. I see 2019 being a year that you grow deeper in your faith through discipleship and share the gospel with more people having the greatest impact than any other year. What we found out is that we had a lot of people that could give out turkeys, but very few that could lead somebody to Christ. And that's what really troubled our hearts and said, we got a disciple. I want you to know what happened to you and you to be able to articulate it because language creates culture. 
And I want you to be able to tell your friends and your family through the Word of God what happened to you when Jesus came into your life. I see Citygate doing life with one another that no one feels left out or alone. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I see us living as extravagant worshipers and living and teaching our kids that God can do anything and wants to use us to make a difference and change the world. See, what seems to be so radical, by the time our kids grow up, it'll be normal if we keep doing it. I see Citygate reaching out beyond the walls of this building further than ever before because we have taken the time to build healthy, powerful disciples ready to see God do the miraculous and restore broken lives in our city. The most important question is what do you see? But it really isn't the most important question. It's the most important question so far. It really didn't matter what I saw. But what do you see and where do you see yourself fitting into this place called Citygate? Because now there's some expectation of participation. Our vision of a preferred future, our God's preferred future, living our faith together with the same core values, being passionate, authentic, loving, generous, intentional, relational, becoming servant leaders with high integrity. Now that's core values I can live with. Before we enter into a moment of worship, I'm going to ask for some commitments. See, I want you to participate. And maybe you're going to find out CityGate may not be your church. And we're going to do our best to try to navigate you to the church that fits you best. And that's hard to say. But what I really want us to do is to participate in a life together that allows us to go on the purposes of God, on mission. And that we can preach and live the gospel with word and deed that starts changing people's lives. And it's going to require moving and navigating ourselves to places of discipleship and understanding the preferred future of God. Because really, is it the most important question what you see or is the most important question what He sees? And where are you in that preferred future? I want to live passionate, authentic, loving, generous, intentional, relational, and becoming servant leaders with high integrity. I want you to be a part of it. And I'm asking you, because I'm going to go deeper. This isn't the only time you're going to hear this. For the next four to six weeks, I'm going to take each one of these pillars and the core values associated, and I'm going to tell you what Scripture says about each one of them, not to do more than stir your emotions like I've tried to do today. What I want to do is give you a foundational truth in this word right here. And I'm going to ask you, maybe you're, at the end of our journey we find out this isn't the path for you, but at least stick for six. So look at your neighbor and say, stick for six. And I'm going to do my best over the next four to six weeks to try to detail this out about what God's Word says about all of those pillars and all of those core values. Because I believe we can change the world one life at a time right here at 2nd and Jackson Street.